Hallo. Thank you. Thank you for your kindness. You haven't heard me yet. <laughs> um, God is so good. I just, look, when I, I wasn't sure what I was going to speak to you, and when I, when I was coming over the hill into the bay, um, I felt the Holy Spirit just came on me um, coming into the bay. You know, there's, a, there's an atmosphere that, that starts up at the top of the hill there somewhere, just about where the traffic cops sit. And, um, <laughs> and um, I felt... Um, I just felt that the Lord really, you know, wanted me to come and speak a word of encouragement to you as, as people. I don't feel that the Lord wants me to say anything too much about you as, you know, as a corporate body or your ministry or anything else, but He really loves people. And I, I, had, this, I had this thing where this, this morning I, I was woken up and, um, and I, I saw Jesus on the cross again, and it was like the Lord said, um, Jesus was more concerned about the one on his left and the one on his right, even in the midst of his pain, and in the midst of everything that was going on, Jesus was more concerned about those on his left and on his right. One on his right railed him and said, um, you know, well, I can't remember which it was, I think it was the one on his right, I didn't read it. Um, One on his right, I think, railed him and said, you know, what are you talking about, Jesus? You know, you're supposed to be the Messiah, you're supposed to be the King of the universe, you're supposed to be the Creator, you're supposed to be all those things, you know. And yet, here you are on the cross. And the guy on the left said, forgive me. You're a good man. I can see that, but I've sinned. Jesus said, today you'll be in heaven with me, or in paradise or whatever. And you know, that's such a cool thing. Jesus was so concerned about people. And you know what? I've got this thing burning in my heart for you this morning that God is so concerned about people. He's so concerned about you as individuals. So concerned about every little thing that's going on in your life. And here's the deal. (laughs) You know, God will go to extraordinary lengths to love on people. He'll go to extreme lengths. God, you know, I've got news for you. God is an extremist. You know, and if you don't like extremists, you're in the wrong club. Because God is an extremist. And He will go to extreme lengths to bless you. He will go to extreme lengths to lift you into that place where you need to be. He will go to extreme lengths. To, he will go to extreme lengths to see His purposes fulfilled in your life. I was just thinking about Moses. You know, Moses was a, was a guy who had this heart. He, he looked out the window one day. He was brought up in a, in a system. It was the system of Egypt, but he was brought up in a system, and he looked out the, the window one day, and he thought, wow, look at that oppression. Look at that. Look at, look at those people. They're my people. And yet I'm here in this lap of luxury and, you know, look at all these people. So he went out there to see what he could do because in the natural, that's what a lot of us do sometimes when we see a need. Bless you, by the way, for your work in Thailand. I, I want to cry because I know what you do and I want to honor you for it because I just feel the heart of Jesus all over you this morning. I just, I just want to honor you because you're the hidden treasure in this house this morning. Hallelujah. So, um, 
So, um, what was I going to say? Moses. Moses went out to check it out because it was all pumping in the house, in Moses' house, because he lived in Pharaoh's house that was need of nothing. He was the brother to Pharaoh. If Pharaoh had snuffed it, you know, the Pharaoh to come, Moses would have been Pharaoh of Egypt. You know, he, 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 was, he was there or thereabouts in the realm. And he looked out the window and he was undone because he saw the need and he had compassion. Sounds like somebody else I know. Looked out the window and he had compassion, but he went out there to fix it in his own strength. And he went out there and he, he saw this Egyptian treating one of his countrymen badly. And I tell you, I've got Jewish blood in me. You, you touch an Israel, one Israeli, you touch them all. And so I can understand how he felt. And so when he, when, he, when he went out there, he wanted to fix it. And he ended up having a little accident. <laughs> and the man, the man died. And Moses thought, uh-oh. So Moses took off. Ministry over. I've fallen. You know, like, I can't do anything ever again. God, how could I have done that? You know, I was trying. My Lord, you know my heart. But God, I blew it. How many of you feel, don't put your hand up, How many? because you all do, how many of you feel like that? Because you've blown it. Join the club. You know, we blow it moment by moment. But I, I want to tell you that there's a, there's a Jesus who died on the cross who's looking to his left and he's looking to his right always as, how, as to how he can minister. And the same was true of Moses. Moses went into the, into the backside of the desert. I think that's a polite way of saying something else, but... Um, <coughs> Moses went into the backside of the desert and he was out there looking after his father-in-law Jethro's, not from the clampet, sheep. <laughs> Some of you are old enough to remember that. <laughs> so he was out there looking after his, his father-in-law's sheep and he had an experience because God is an extremist. And even if we run away from God, God is an extremist. And he will go to extreme lengths to find you, even if you live in Invercargill. I love Invercargill. Just don't go there very much. But it is the bottom of the nation. And so I, I just feel like God is on something in this house this morning. He's on something with regard to who you are as an individual. He wants to really get on you this morning. He not only just wants to get on you, but he wants to bring a burning bush experience because I, I, I really see this. You know, what is a burning bush experience? A burning bush experience is something that comes from outside this realm and enters, enter, enters this, you know, from heaven outside of the realm into this realm and manifests in front of you. And you, you've got no option but to respond one way or the other. Well, you actually have got a, an option. And the option is in two places in the gospel, and I'm sorry I didn't look up the scripture because they asked me what scriptures I had, and I said I'm too random to have scriptures. Because and, and, I'm just preaching off the hoof here. So, so I just really believe that you know, the, there is two options. And in the gospels, well, I think one of them is the gospel of Luke and one of them is the gospel of John, where Peter pulled up a whole lot of fish when Je at Jesus' command. Remember that? And so he had, a, he had an experience because he'd been fishing all night and he knew where the fish were because he was a professional 
fishermen and professional fishermen know where the fish are, and they're not going to tell you, but they know where they are. And so he, he didn't catch any fish, but he came back in and Jesus said, cast out your net again. Jesus said, okay, I mean, sorry, Peter said, okay, Jesus, at your word, at your word, I'll cast out the net again. And so he cast out the net again. What happened was, in one version it says the boat was so full of fish that it nearly sank. In the other version it says it caught 232, was it, or 230, whatever the number is. It was actually, the number represents the known nations in the earth at the time. And so that's how many fish came into the boat. And Peter, so the two, there were two responses in each gospel, and I should be reading it because I, I should be a better preacher, but um, <clears throat> I just preach off the hoof. So here we are, because this is a word right from heaven for you. And so right now, in, in the boat, the first response was Peter seeing a manifestation in front of him, seeing the glory of God manifested, seeing God turning up in all his glory. When the fish came into the boat, Peter knew where it had come from. It came straight out of heaven. It was multiplication out of heaven. It wasn't anything to do with him because he's a fisherman and he knew that this doesn't happen. He was in the shallows and he brought big fish in. So he knew this is a God thing right here. So Peter's response in one of the Gospels was, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a wicked man. All right? So when God turns up in our lives, there are two responses. That one is, depart from me, Lord, I'm a wicked man. And the other response was, Peter, it says, Peter put on his fisher's coat because he was naked. I don't know what it is with Peter. There's so many times in the scripture that says that Peter was naked. Anyway... Anyway, it says he was naked and he put on his fish's coat. In other words, he saw who he was. He was naked in front of the glory of God. He suddenly saw who he was. He was totally naked. He put on his fish's coat because that's what he thought was best to do. And he ran into the arms of Jesus on the shore. Two responses. And the Holy Spirit is laying two responses before you this morning. God will go to extremes to get you. And when he, when he gets you, it'll be with fireworks. It'll be with sparks. It'll be with burning bushes. It'll be with boatloads of fish. It'll be with red seas parting. It'll be with axes floating on water. It'll be with donkeys talking. It'll be with... It'll be extreme. Because God is an extremist and he loves you so much. He wants an extreme move of God in your life so that you remember. If you just had, you know, like a little 50 cent move, you ain't going to remember it. Oh, well, that could have been Pastor Lynn because she carries so much anointing. It could have been her just stirring it up. And, you know, you, you know that. I mean, I, I, I love Lynn. So I know that she's not going to be offended by me saying that. Because I know that I can't stir up. Well, I better not say that. I, I can't stir anything up. I stir. But I can't stir anything up. But when he comes, there's no denying it. In my own personal life, I seem to have, you know, huge encounters once, once, you know, once every, you know, seven or so years. You know, I have encounters along the way, but I have these huge encounters. Every seven or so years, and I'm getting old enough now to have a, 
to have had a few seven years. And so, and so I want to say to you that those encounters that I have carry me through the next seven years, because I look back to that and I say, I can't deny you, Jesus. I cannot deny that you chased me down and you sat on my head and you punched me until I said yes. Because <laughs> this is the extreme that God will go to. And Moses said, Moses' response was like most of us. Here was Moses in the backside of the desert. Moses, I want you to go and set my people free. Can't. God said, fine, if you can't, you can, because I'm saying you can, but if you think you can't talk, then take your brother, because he's eloquent, and he can speak for you. And that's exactly what God's saying to you, that there is no can't in God language. There is no can't when God turns up. When the encounter comes, there is no can't. And I want to tell you that as individuals, you're all sitting on the edge of, a, of an encounter. You're only, you're, you know, you might be one day, one month, one year, you know, three years away from your next encounter. But I guarantee because God loves you, he's on your case and you're going to have an encounter. And you've got two choices. You've got two choices either to say like Peter, in, in the, I think it's in Luke where he says, get away from me for I'm a sinful man. Or in, in John where he says, Jesus and runs into Jesus. I want to tell you that the biggest weapon that the enemy has against you is, is to keep you in remembrance of your sin. Because actually, if you're in Jesus, you have no sin. You might... It's just truth. Don't like truth. They ran away from Jesus as well. When he started saying, these things are possible. It's not that you don't sin. It's that you, don't, that you have no sin. Because you're in Him. And in Him is perfection. And perfection is perfection. There is no other. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to run around 15 times. You don't have to perform like a seal. You don't have to do anything else. It's all about Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, your next encounter will involve Jesus. Because every encounter that you have is going to involve Jesus, regardless of what that encounter looks like. Jesus will be on the forefront, and you're about to have an encounter. I'm declaring it over you as individuals. You're going to have an encounter with Jesus. And you'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. Five people said amen. They like the way they are, Pastor Lim. You'll never be the same again. I'm not satisfied with the way I am. I'm looking for an encounter all the time because I want to be like Jesus. And I can't be like Jesus unless heaven invades and just changes me. Because I can't change, see, because I'm just me. But he's him. And so if he invades, see, he chased down Moses. And you know, you know the rest of the story? Moses delivered a people. Moses, Moses delivered a people. You know, God is always on time. God is always on time. 30 years, Joseph had favor in, 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 in Egypt and, and the brothers and everybody else, and they all one by one died because they weren't that young. 
And then after, after Joseph was gone and Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh had come, who are these people in my backyard? Who invited them to the party? Because that really winded me up, Pharaoh said. So he enslaved them 400 years to the day. God's always on time. 400 years to the day. God brought them out. God brought them out. And you think, if you think that's smart, then I'm just digressing for a minute. I have to be quick in my digression. But, but I'm going to digress for a minute because if you, if you think God's never on time, you know, the Ottoman Empire had um, what is modern-day Israel under oppression for 400 years to the day. 31st of October, 1514, the Ottoman Empire invaded what is modern-day Israel. And they had it, they ruled over it for 400 years to the day, Pastor Lim. To the day. You don't think God's still moving an encounter in the earth? You don't think God is moving an encounter? Just look at the, name, the, the nation of Israel. Jesus said, if you're not having any encounters, just look at the fig tree. It's having plenty. So the Australians and New Zealanders, you know those people? The Anzacs. They went in there. They'd been cannon fodder in Gallipoli and, and you know, suffered a huge loss and I have, a, I have a saying that in the place of our greatest loss is, is going to come our greatest victory. And I declare that over you because this is the inheritance of this nation. I declare it over you as individuals because this is our inheritance. Our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers, our great-great-grandfathers fought in that war and that battle. And they have won for you an inheritance which is irrevocable because it's written in blood irrevocable. You're going to have an encounter because of your grandfather and great-grandfather, but I don't believe in war, Ian. Well, too bad. God caused one and because and, um, he needed a nation set free. So they took the, the bent and broken Australians and New Zealanders into Egypt. Sound familiar? And they trained in Egypt for desert warfare. And then they started moving through the Sinai Peninsula. First they took, you know, the Sinai. They went up, suffered loss. And then on the 31st of October, 1914, the Anzacs kicked some Turkish butt. Australians claim it as their battle. I'm sorry if you're Australian this morning. I love you. But it wasn't just your battle. As I said to the guy giving the talk in Jerusalem a few years ago, what does Anzac stand for? Point taken, he said. Because they like to say, you know, the Australians did this and we did that and we took this and we did that. We just went home. But your reward is at hand because God is a God who works to a timetable. So on the 31st of October, 1914, was set in place uh, an irre irreversible clock that said 
God's going to bless Israel, but God's going to bless those that set Israel free. And it wasn't until December 1917 that the Anzacs stood as a guard on the left and the right as General Allenby came into, into Jerusalem and they raised a flag. They went two days before Allenby got there actually. A Jewish New Zealand soldier named Corporal Silak had got a Zionist flag, which is the flag of the modern-day nation of Israel. And he scaled the citadel of David, the only remaining building from the, from the Roman sacking of Jerusalem, because they wanted people to remember what Israel's glory used to be by leaving one building standing, and that building was the citadel of David. And so, interesting. So, Corporal Selak, some of you might be related to him. Don't know. Never met anybody yet, but sure there will be somebody in New Zealand. He scaled the citadel of David and against orders, because General Allenby said no flag is to be raised until I get to Jerusalem, but against orders, Corporal Selak raised the Zionist flag and for the first time in 3,000 years, the banner of David flew over the citadel of David. Isaiah 11 says, when you see a banner being raised, it's a signal that the that my people shall be gathered from the ends of the earth and delivered back into their own land. The prophetic act of a New Zealand soldier put in motion something that is irreversible. And I want to encourage you this morning that you may be the Moses of your generation. You may be the David of your generation. David wasn't actually that accepted by mainstream David actually was hiding in caves, hiding in lonely places, fleeing arrows and darts that were being fired at him continually, and yet he kept this perfect heart. It wasn't perfect in his ways, but he kept this perfect heart towards his enemies, which honored his enemies above himself. He had a chance to knock Saul off when Saul was going to the toilet in modern language in the cave pulled his robe down, David cut a little piece off the hem of his garment because David was hiding in the cave. Stealth, special forces, IDF. Watch out, they're still around. <laughs> Went in, took a piece of the coat of David, uh, Saul. Saul, feeling much better now, goes down out of the cave and down, sort of, you know, straightening himself up, gets down to the bottom. David stands at the top, lifts up a piece of his cloak, because Saul thought, man, I've grown six inches. This thing used to come down further on me. But then he realized when David held it up and said, uh, missing something, Saul? I could have killed you, but for honor of God in you. I didn't kill you because it's not my place to judge you or to kill you or to do anything else. And this is a word for the Lord of the Lord for you this morning. You don't have any right to judge anybody. You, you can judge, but you, you don't have a right to judge. You step into God's judgment and judge that way. But it's not on your, it's not on your, it's not on your job description. Justice and mercy 
is on your job description. And even when God is judging something or somebody, because he can do that because it's on his job description, when God does that, when God is judging, you still are called to show justice and mercy. And God will bless you when you do what's on your job description in the middle of an encounter. Because you're about to have an encounter, all of you. You're about to have this major encounter. I mean, if you're not saved this morning, hey, today's a good day to have a major encounter. Because that's the best encounter that I ever had, was the day that I said, yes, Jesus. I didn't really know what I was doing, but he did. And I've never regretted that. 37 years here I am, still standing here, still proclaiming his name, still full of the honor and the glory of God, not because it's been easy, because it ain't, but because he is who he said he was. And I encourage you this morning, if you're not saved, just to think about that for a moment. But I want to also say to you that, that David was, you know, unaccepted, un, un whatever, all those other things that David was, hiding in caves, hiding in the things. And David had his encounter with God, not in the mainstream, but in the quiet place, in those places where he was hidden. David was constantly an encounter. And that encounter led the prophet to find him and pour a jug of oil over his head when the pork, pork, they weren't eating pork, I can assure you, when the cork, when the cork popped and the oil flooded out of the, of the, of the horn all over young David. Still wasn't easy for him. You can have the greatest calling on earth, and some of you may have in here. You might be the next Billy Graham. Some of you might be the, the next whatever. Hope, hopefully you're not the next Apostle James because he only lasted 14 years. <laughs> some of you might be. But the good news is that whatever you're calling, God is an extremist. And he will go to extreme measures to get you to where you need to be to fulfill the thing that you're called to do. He's an extremist. Amen. He's so extreme that a man named Saul of Tarsus, breathing fire, it said, full of religious indignation, one of the most educated religious leaders, young leaders in Israel at the time come down from Tarsus where he'd been trained by one of the greatest minds, Jewish minds ever, still regarded to this day. Gamal, whatever his name was. But great mind. Paul was trained by him. So, so indignant and so right and so, you know, he thought he was right and off he charged. And it says he was standing there giving license to those who stoned Stephen. Even when heaven opened in front of him and, and you know, Stephen, they saw Jesus. I don't think it was just Stephen. I think everybody saw that. That would have freaked them out. Jesus peering down out of heaven and Stephen looked up and said, whoa, that's what I've been waiting for. Perhaps some of you have got the calling of Stephen on your life. He opened up a way. So when the way was opened, Paul 
still didn't relent because sometimes people get mindsets and ideas in their head that this is the way you do things and regardless of any, anything anybody says, I'm still going to do it this way because I think it's right. But here's the good news. God is an extremist. He's an extremist. Paul went breathing fire out the Damascus Gate. You can still go to the Damascus Gate to this day, probably not the same Damascus Gate, but close to where it was, onto the Damascus Road, which incidentally would have gone past the crucifixion site of Jesus because he was crucified on the side of the Damascus Road, in case you were wondering. Because Romans never crucified people on a lonely hill far away. They crucified people in public so that the public would see that you don't mess with the Romans, bro. So Paul would have gone past the crucifixion site still absolutely convinced that he was on the right path. And we went up the Damascus Road. It's a pretty journey. Not sure whether he picked buttercups in the hills of Naphtali. I'm not sure. He may have done. <laughs> I'd probably stay there. I wouldn't go to Damascus. Anyway, he, he just kept going on up through the Damascus Road. It says, I don't know how far up he got because it actually doesn't say, but I'm figuring he got pretty close to Damascus. And suddenly, this extremist who rules and rides the heavens, this extremist who will go to extreme lengths to get the right people in the right place at the right time so that God's goodness can be demonstrated, happened. Paul was thinking he was going to do something completely different. Well, he was Saul then, but he was still thinking, I'm I'm going to fix these people. I'm going to fix them. I'll fix them good. But the extremists, hallelujah, just lift your hands for a moment. Lift your hands to the extremist of heaven because he's an extreme lover. He's an extreme, he, he wants to bless you with extreme love. God doesn't give some $2 shop, crappy, excuse the word, little gift, and you know, wrapped up in brown paper and says, hey, here's something for you. God gets ribbons and bows and, and, and the most extravagant wrapping paper and he goes to the most extravagant shops and he buys you stuff and he wraps it in this beautiful stuff and he puts extravagant bows on and he has a fanfare with trumpeters and clarinets and flutes and all sorts of things playing in the background and he, and he, and, and he, and he invites you out the door and he says, look what I got you. Because he's an extremist. He's an extremist and he's coming after you. He's coming after you this morning in extreme love and extreme mercy and extreme grace. He's coming after you and he's going to get you. Run if you want to, but he'll get you. Because he loves you with an extreme love and a love so extreme that it went like this and died on the cross. So extreme, so extreme is this love. And here's Saul, breathing fire and religious indignation. A lot of people in the church like that. Not saying this church necessarily, I'm saying the church. Full of religious indignation. I'm right. God says, really? 
really? You're saying you're right? I do love you, but I'm going to show you who's right. And might is not right, but extreme laid down love. Justin Abraham, who was here over the weekend, used um, a saying that I love. The door is in the floor. And extreme lovers know how to find the door. And you can precipitate this encounter. Saul had this encounter. He was such a wild dude that God had to blind him, you know, take away his, you know, his ability to talk. He took everything away, and this blubbering mess was led by the hand, led by the hand by a man named um, um, Ananias, was it? No, whatever. I'd have to read the book sometime. Um, I'm ha- sorry, I'm having mental blocks. They're just senior moments. Took him to a street called Straight in Damascus and sat him down. Said, well, actually he didn't want to do it. But God the extremist said, there's a guy that you know need to go and talk to. And he said, I don't think so. This guy hates Christians. He hates Christians with a passion. I ain't going to go and speak to him. And God said, I think you are. Because I'll tell you what I just did to him. And I'm such an extremist that I need to have you in the right place at the right time. I love that guy Saul so much that I will go to extreme measures and I'll do extreme things to you so that you get him to extreme measures. And when I've finished doing, and he's accepted those extreme measures, then I'll come back and minister to you in my extreme love. But in the meantime, unless you do it, I'm going to be extreme. Because this is the love of God. The love of God compels you. The love of God compels you to go to Thailand. The love of God compels you to go to Africa. The love of God compels you to go to Flaxmere. The love of God compels you to go to Napier or Hastings. The love of God compels you to go to Waikikamukau. (laughs) My Maori brethren are impressed with my ability to pronounce Maori names. Love you. <laughs> um, so here's the deal. Are you ready for this move? Are you ready for an extreme encounter with God? Here's the thing. He's coming ready or not. You know how you play these games with your children when they're little? I can still remember that. I play games and you hide in places that are just so easy for them to find you. And they find you and they go, ah, silly daddy, you're just silly. I can find you so easy. And your daddy in heaven, you think he's hiding from you. But he's actually hiding in plain sight. If you just look for him, if you start to say, God, it's time for an encounter in my life. It's time for an encounter of extreme love in my life. I need your extreme love. He's going to get you. And if you can't find him, he'll come after you. I just want to tell you, just a heads up, he's actually just hiding behind the curtains. Look down, there's his boots. He's right there. He's right there. 
And if you go after him, if you go hard after him, if you follow hard after him, if you say, Jesus, I'm coming after you, if you say, Father, I'm coming after you because I want some of this extreme love. I want to see people saved and delivered and set free. God is so extreme. He even called his son Yeshua, which means healing, salvation, and deliverance. So extreme. He called his son the thing that he wanted him to do. And he's so extreme, he's going to get you. He's going to get them, Pastor Lynn. He's going to get you. He's going to get the lot of you. Run if you want to. He's even prepared to give you a 50-meter start. Run. Run while you can. Because extreme love is about to hit you. See, what this nation needs is a revelation of extreme love. What this nation needs is not more programs, not more this, not more that, not more, you know, like at the church I go to, Horizon Church, we dismantle everything. We don't have a program. Forgot what that looks like. They've still got the manuals. They're up in a cupboard. They're going to get burnt soon, Guy Fox. Because you don't need that stuff. You need encounter. You need God. You need laid down love. You need the glory of God. You need the witness of the Holy Ghost. The sons of God are known because they're led by the Spirit of God and nothing else. Not known for their big building or their big programs or their big this or their big that. (sighs) What they're known for is love. By this shall all men know. Why are they known for love? Because they have laid down encounters. The God who goes to extremes wants to love on you with an extreme. Are you ready? Ten. Are you ready? Nine. He's coming to get you. It's time, New Zealand. It's time, Hastings. Some of you are visiting from other places. It's time. It's time for an encounter of laid down love. It might surprise you, but most of my gospel heroes are Catholic. Because Protestants are too busy arguing over right doctrine, over how do we do this and how do we do that, what program should we run this week, and the Catholics, they've just done the same thing for 2,000 years. And, and occasionally God raises up Mother Teresa or Francis Xavier. Smashes the world to pieces with love. Smashes. Heidi Baker. She's not Catholic, but she's the best Catholic I know. Because she's exercising that passion, that love. Smash down, lay down love. God will come and sit on you and tickle you until you know that he loves you. Because he's coming to get you, eight. He's coming to get you. And some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a funny bald man up the front. He's all right, yeah, yeah. Turkey for lunch. He's coming to get you, seven. Ready or not, ready or not, 
You write songs, eh? You want to write songs? You write songs. Come here. Can I do this? Can I do this? Lift your hands. See, Jesus had only two fishes and five loaves. And actually what he did was he lifted what he had into heaven because he knew the deal. If you lift anything into heaven, it gets multiplication all over it. And next thing, you've got a revival on your hands. Next thing, you've got so many fish, you don't know what to do with them all. Jewish people are hungry. You know, you invite a Jewish family to, to, to a meal, you better make sure there's plenty of food. <laughs> Feasting people. And so Jesus knew that. He only had two fish and five loaves. Keep your hand up. Two fish and five loaves. Six. Coming to get you. Six. He's coming to get you. So what he had, he lifted into heaven, got a multiplication all over it. He didn't actually give it. He didn't give out like all the food and stuff. He actually gave it to his disciples. Because once you get heaven on something, there's no turning back. And actually, you're about to have an encounter with laid down love. You're about to have an encounter. Some things that have been going on in your life have been really tough lately. Some things like that, you know, you've been saying, God, I don't like this door on the floor. I don't like this face down Christianity. I don't like it because I've been trained into thinking that I've got to be, yeah, yeah, rah, rah. But there's a love coming. There's a passion coming. There's God who's extreme is about to hit you with a bolt of lightning, a lightning of love that's going to go so deep into your soul. It's going to arc out of your feet. It's going to affect nations because you've got words and you've got music in you that's going to, so you're going to start to write again. Now, five. He's coming to get you. He's coming to get you. You can hide on the East Coast. But he's coming to get you. <laughs> You can hide in Gisborne, but he's coming to get you too. <laughs> Laid down love, extreme love, grace. Paul knew what it was like to live out of grace. How did he know that? Because he was wanting to murder everybody. He was wanting to kick butt. He was going up to Damascus not to have a party. He was going up to kill somebody. He got the God who's the extremist, the extremist who rides on the wind, the extremist who rules the universe, the extremist who thunders like the roar of a mighty ocean, the extremist who roars in the heavens, this extremist, this extremist. You know this one? You know this God? You know what I'm talking about? The extreme God, not the safe, gentle Jesus sitting in a bassinet. I'm talking about the ruler of the universe, I'm talking about, well, the extremist who roars. He's about to roar on you. Four. It's all right, I'm watching the clock. Four. 
He's got plenty of time, don't worry about it. Four. You're this far from your next encounter because heaven is this far away. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand and if you just accept that this is not about you being the best person that you can be and turning up to everything that you need to turn up to, all that stuff's okay, it's good I suppose. But actually what's really good is if you get hit by love if you get hit by this extreme love that caused your Savior to go to the cross of Calvary, that caused him to endure such pain, this extreme love, I mean, you try this at home. Nail through your hands, nail through through your feet, um, struggling to breathe, and yet you're still wanting to express love to everybody around you. You know, this is extreme love right there. He had every right to say... Contact me in three days. Sorry, can't minister to you right now. I'm not feeling that well. <laughs> he had every right to. Because in his humanness, and I want to say something here, actually the Holy Spirit just dropped it in my spirit. Jesus was not ashamed of his humanity. And he's not ashamed of your humanity. He knows your frailty. He knows that you will wither like grass. He knows, he knows, he knows, three. He knows. Hallelujah. He knows. He knows. Some of you don't believe me. There's extreme love coming. Extreme love. Jesus came into my room when I didn't know who Jesus was. I'd never heard of Jesus until somebody hit their finger with a hammer and that was the first time I knew about Jesus. But I'd never known any other Jesus except this Jesus. So to me, Jesus was just a word. I believe somewhere deep down here, because I come from generations of people groups, that you scratch the surface and they say, God's real. So there was a deep abiding belief deep down there somewhere, but I didn't know what to do with it. Jesus, being the extremist that he is, thought, how am I going to get that boy's attention? How am I going to get that boy's attention? So that I know, I'll come and see him. So he came into my room. The whole room lit up with the power and the glory and the majesty. He didn't come as Jesus, the lovely boy from Galilee. He came as Jesus, the mighty, the sovereign, the glorious one. This Jesus came into my room. I didn't even know who he was. But I knew he was God and I wasn't. And I want to tell you that this extremist, this extreme God knew what it would take to get my attention. Because people have tried to give me a Bible and I'd thrown it across the other side of the room and said, I don't, this is rubbish. How did I know that? I don't know. It wasn't rubbish. But I just didn't know any different. But this extreme God came to get me. 
and he got me good. Because I said, I didn't know what to say, so I said, God, help. That did it. That's enough. What was your salvation prayer? God, help. That'll do it. I saw him. I believed. I confessed with my lips. Yep, you're the man. That's enough. Never gone back. Been on my ear most of my life. God's about to turn you on your ear because he's an extreme God who does extreme things. I can't guarantee you that he'll turn up in your room, although that would be nice. (laughs) I can't guarantee you that you'll get tingly feelings down the back of your spine. I can't guarantee you anything. It could be a veil of tears. I can't guarantee anything, but I can guarantee you that this extreme God is about to show you extreme love because this nation needs it. If it needed what we have, the whole city would be saved. If it needed what we have, the whole nation would be saved. But we don't have it. We need an encounter with this extreme God too. He's got me on a countdown. Or maybe it's you that he's got on a countdown. You'll never know until it comes. But one way or the other, he's got us on a countdown. And I want to encourage you this morning. He loves you with a passion. He loves you that if you're hiding in the backside of the desert, he'll get you. He loves you that if you're hiding in the caves at En Gedi, he'll get you. He'll, if you're running away to Damascus, he'll get you. Wherever you are, he'll get you one. He'll get you. You've still got 30 seconds to run. He'll get you. (laughs) He'll get you. (laughs) Some people from Christchurch running out the door to catch a plane, but I think that's okay. Ho! Stand to your feet. Can I say that in this church? (laughs) Sorry, I'm just acting like I own the place. (laughs) Hallelujah. Lift your hands into this place. If you're not comfortable lifting your hands, that's okay. But no, it's not really. Lift your hands into this place. Say, Jesus. Say with me, Jesus. I'm worried. I heard you're an extremist. And I know you're coming to get me. But Jesus, I think I need to say yes. No, Jesus, I know I need to say yes. You just prayed the most dangerous prayer that you've ever prayed in your life. And he got you good. Zero. Coming ready or not, you just prayed a prayer that gave him permission. Because he's a tricky God as well. I forgot to tell you, Jehovah Sneaky, he just snuck up on you, got you to pray a prayer and says, okay, I'm coming now. Just get some of this juice. Shoof. Get it. Live in the glory. Live in this place. Live in this glory. Live in this encounter. Live in this love. Live in it. Because he loves you. I just want to say one thing just before I hand it back to Pastor Lynn. Sit down for a moment if you wouldn't mind. 
fall down, run out the door, I don't care, whatever you do. <laughs> but I just want to say, if you've come into this place today and you stumbled in because you thought, mm, got nothing to do, or somebody bought you, kicking and screaming, yeah, I suppose I'll come to church just to keep you happy. But you know that this extremist just touched your heart. Not me, God. And it's time to say yes to Jesus. You've never done that before. Today's the day that you need to say, yes, Jesus. And you don't even have to know what he sounds like or looks like. You don't have to worry about any of this. Look, I didn't even know who he was. And I said, God, help. And look what happened to me. (laughs) Today is your day. If you're in this house and you've never said yes to Jesus, and you'd like to say yes to Jesus, would you just like to raise your hand? (laughs) You'd like to say yes to Jesus, you've never done it before, today, bless you, you've done it before. Yeah. Today's your lucky day. Anybody else just wants to say yes? Anybody wants to say yes? 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 Well, you've prayed a prayer, He said, come and get me, God. It's too late now because the countdown's finished. <laughs> and this extremist is coming to get you. And I hand from one extremist to another, I hand the microphone. No, I just want you to stand with me for a moment. <laughs> Church, I, I feel the Lord has spoken to me while um, Pastor Ian was speaking this morning. Wasn't that wonderful? wasn't that encouraging, you know. But I felt the Lord speaking to me two, two um, weeks ago. We had Susan sharing, and it was awesome, stunning. Susan, I have met twice since. She lives right in around, in the area of the brothels. She doesn't live in a nice place. She rents her home so she can live over there. But it's the stories behind the stories so it's little broken girls about this high and little boys that have been saved out of prostitution to restore them. It's hours and hours of counseling and love, extreme love. It's, it, it, uh, Susan knows the words about extreme love. She, she's experienced that extreme love. Now, now she's pouring it out. Um, to hear the stories behind the stories, how you've even helped the families, going beyond these little girls that have been making money for their families, broken, torn, raped. Some of them never, ever, ever will be right again. But ones like um, Susan. I, I just feel, church, that the Lord has said, get Susan to stand here. I saw this over the weekend. And we come and we put it at her feet, our giving. At her feet, I want um, Pastor Ian to stand with me. This this is very, very precious, very precious what you do. It's a total giving out of herself day after day after day. Susan, would you come up, my dear? We love you. Extreme love, extreme love. Let's show our love this morning to make life a little easier for some of these children. Just ask Pastor Ian to pray for her. Just, just be really generous. Just lay, because this is love. This is extreme love. And she, she hates this. I can see it on her face. She hates the limelight. She hates, she hates anybody speaking over her. And that tells me who you are. 
and I honour that in you and I want you to lay down at her feet the goodness of God. Father, I thank you for my sister, Lord. I thank you for the love that I can feel emanating out of her. Lord, she's empty, but it's you and she's full. So, Father, I just really pray that, Father, you pour your spirit upon her. Lord, you will empower her and bring provision for the next stage of her journey. And, Father, we just, Lord, we agree together. Lord, this church agrees and I stand with her to agree. Father, the greatest fruitfulness of her ministry and of her life is is about to come forth. And the power of God, Father, beyond anything that she dreamed or imagined was possible. Who, me, she says? Yes, you, he says. And so, Father, I just release her into this mantle and into this power, into this rescue mission, Lord God. Father, that, Lord, you're a God of justice and your word says that, Lord, you dance on injustice. And so, Father, I release my sister as a dancer of dancers to dance on injustice, to bring forth your name, that glory would fill that nation, Lord God. Father, as a result, Lord God, And Father, her name may never be known in this life, but Father, already it is known in heaven, Father, and recorded in the place that she cares about. So Father, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, we bless her and ask you to bless her. Amen. those children he's so faithful I just thank you for uh, what you give and I encourage you with everything in me to love one another as you've shown me love today I just thank you Let's give her a big clap and send her on her way to Thailand. We'd just love to honour once again with a big shout and a clap for our brother and sister that have come. Thank you for that ministry today. We're in for an encounter. (laughs) Who wants that encounter? Wow, look. Who wants that encounter with God? An extreme God. Isn't it wonderful? Well, have a wonderful day, everybody, and love on each other, and yes, we'll see you when we see you. Have a good lunch. (laughs) Bye.